I want to talk a little bit about a topic that came up in the last couple weeks. This week, history was made when Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson was confirmed. As you probably all know, she's our first African-American woman on the U.S. Supreme Court. And uh, she's also going to be the first justice in the history of the court who has worked as a public defender, a person who has represented criminal defendants uh, on behalf of the government. And I don't know if you watched any of it or saw any of the excerpts, but the confirmation hearings, there were some politicians who really tried very hard to question and disparage Jackson's reputation by pointing out that she represented criminal defendants, people in Guantanamo and people uh, who did, you know, who did bad things or alleged were alleged to have done bad things. And interestingly, during this same time, uh, politicians from the other side of the aisle were running ads attacking a Republican gubernatorial candidate, uh, Aurora Mayor Richard Irvin, because he himself during his career had represented criminal defendants in his practice. So the question is, is it fair to question a person's um, a lawyer who has represented criminal defendants when they run for office, whether it, whether it's they're they're getting appointed as a judge, whether they're running for a government, whether they're applying for a job, do you as a lawyer get tagged, and should you get tagged with the uh, alleged acts of the people you represent? And is this criticism fair in any way? Uh, to discuss this issue is probably the foremost person to do that, and that is our former Cook County public defender, Amy Campanelli. She's a friend of the show. She was a public defender for six years in charge of the office. She's one of the most proactive and committed public defenders, voted by Chicago Magazine as one of the 50 most powerful women in Chicago. Amy, uh, welcome to the show. How are you doing, Amy? Hi, great, Karen. Thanks for having me today. I know that you're uh, you're away. You're you're in the mountains somewhere west, and uh, you uh, you you made the sacrifice to to talk to me on the show, and I appreciate that. Um, let's let's just ask the question: Is it fair to criticize a lawyer for the fact that he or she has represented criminal defendants? No, it isn't fair. In fact, um, it's true. If we didn't have lawyers. To defend criminal defendants, there would be no justice. Instead, justice would be a mockery. You know, it's ironic. You brought up Senator Cotton. It's ironic that Senator Cotton tried to insult Judge Jackson um, during um, the nomination proceedings by invoking the Nuremberg trials, since the entire point. Oh, Amy, you know what? You, Amy, excuse me, but you're got, got a little bad connection. Sorry. Maybe if you could move somewhere, maybe a little bit different. Maybe the mountains are in the way here. But go ahead. Yeah, they are. Can you hear me now? I'm so sorry. It's okay. That's I'm fine. On my cell phone. Yeah, no, that's fine. Go ahead. Yeah, it's, I, I was just saying that it's, you know, when he brought up the Nuremberg trial, Senator Cotton, right? The whole point of that, those trials, right, was to bring justice and due process to the lawless society left by the Nazi regime. You know, and that, because during the Nazi regime, uh, there were no courts of justice. Abused people were not entitled to an attorney, and they were condemned. Um, so one of the one of the things the United States Supreme Court has done since 1963 has held that everyone charged with a crime is entitled to an attorney. That's what the Constitution safeguards fundamental rights of life and liberty. And therefore, you must have an attorney to do that. Let's uh, so you, I stand on my. Yeah. 
Well, and and again, you know, when you're a prosecutor and you put people away, that's obviously a more popular thing because we're a country of people who like law and order and we want to be safe and we want to feel that we're safe. But part of that whole process is, in fact, having balance on the other side to make sure justice is served, make sure that person is really the one who committed the crime. But let's take a break. And when we come back, uh, I want to continue this conversation with Amy Campanelli. You're listening to WGN. In light of the Katanji uh, Jackson confirmation hearings, uh, we're talking a little bit about whether it's fair to criticize a lawyer, a candidate for office, a candidate for a judicial seat, based upon the fact that he or she has represented criminal defendants. And we're talking to the former Cook County public defender, Amy Campanelli, uh, one of the most powerful women attorneys here in the city. Um, Amy, and, and you're, you know, you've dedicated, you dedicated a, a chunk of your career to representing criminal defendants. And I, I guess I want to just try to explain this a little bit in more detail. You know, lawyers kind of get tagged with who they, they represent and, and you represent somebody, uh, bad in, in, you know, you, you get, you develop a reputation. But tell us how we should think about the fact, uh, that we're, let's, let's look at the issue of a judge. What do you think a public defender brings to the table when it comes to serving as a judge? Well, obviously, the clients that public defenders represent, Karen, are those most vulnerable, right? The, the poor clients who have suffered trauma in their lives. They come from our communities that have been the most disinvested. Um, and many of the clients who public defenders represent are, in fact, innocent or overcharged, and they have to face perhaps sometimes overzealous prosecutors. And um, what the public defender is, is the check and balance, right, on the entire system. They are there to protect their clients' rights and their fundamental right to liberty. I mean, there is nothing more important than someone's liberty except someone's life. So when someone is charged with a crime and is looking at a possible sentence of the penitentiary, you better believe that that public defender will be totally prepared to represent that person against the government to make sure that if you're going to take my client's liberty, you've got to go through me. And that's what a public defender brings to the bench, right? Um, The clients that they have met, uh, people from different communities, that diversity of knowledge about, you know, normal people who live in the world who are not wealthy and don't have the opportunities that many of us privileged people do. So that's an important um, diversity of thought and diversity of experience that a public defender brings to the bench. And, you know, it's interesting, uh, you know, in our, our system here, uh, judges are mostly, unless we're talking about federal judges, they're elected. So we don't really know much about them I mean, unless we really do our due diligence and we look in Google and, and nobody really spends the time doing that. Even lawyers don't do that. Even I don't know who some of the judges are when I'm voting. But you know, when I see someone who's only been a prosecutor or even only been a public defender or only been a civil lawyer, you know, you, you it seems to me uh, that it's important for anybody sitting on that bench to have real life experience, as much diverse experience as possible, whether it's, like you said, dealing with poor people, dealing with rich people, dealing with the civil system, dealing with the criminal system. And that has to that has to uh, that has to stand for something when you're looking up to that judge to make a decision, like you said, to take away your liberty or your money. Of course, because the judge is going to sit there. They're going to be the person who's going to not only um, make the decision, um, enter the judgment, but then enter possibly a sentence, especially if it's a criminal case, or take away your money, or, um, you know, rule on behalf of someone in a divorce case, the, the husband or the wife. And when you have those experiences, 
um, different experience, being a prosecutor, being a criminal defense attorney, being a civil lawyer where you handle things like evictions or foreclosures or getting people back their money and, or divorce, real estate, all of that experience makes you a better judge, of course. I mean, there's no question about it. Uh, and I'm just going to do a quick shout out your husband, Patrick Campanelli, who's actually I met Pat while he was in night school, law school uh, working. And uh, he had, he was a prosecutor for years. He made his uh, living doing def- criminal defense work while you were a public defender. And he's running for judge. And I say, yay, that's great. It's a great thing because he's been on both sides. He prosecuted sex crimes. You know, he put people in jail for a long time. He also defended people in, in one cases. So what better person with that diverse experience? to serve on the bench. And, you know, I just wish we had more candidates like that. Right. And, and, you know, of course, I'm biased. I am his (laughs) wife. And I I obviously love my husband and think the highest regard of him. But one thing I can say about Pat, whether he was uh, being a prosecutor, being a defense attorney, representing someone in a divorce case, he cared about his clients. You know, that's not something you can teach in law school. Right. You have to have it in your heart. And you have to really care about whoever you're representing on whatever side and make sure that they get the fair trial, make sure that you're prepared, that you understand the law, because that's what judges must do. They must know the law and apply it fairly to everyone, no matter what background they come from. Rich, poor, black, white, brown, it doesn't matter. They have to be fair on that bench. They do. Um, I mean, it's not to say that that people on the bench don't come with, you know, they they come with prejudices. I mean, we all have them. Um, But you make a really good point about, as an attorney, caring about your clients. Uh, I get this question, oh my gosh, all the time uh, from listeners. How do I decide an attorney? Should I Google it? Do I go to the Bar Association? Do I get referrals from, you know, how do you do it? And, you know, it's a hard question to answer, but I always tell people, People talk to the lawyers that you're that you're thinking about hiring. Hey, does that lawyer feel like? Do you feel like that lawyer cares? Does that lawyer return your call right away? That lawyer is that lawyer talking to you compassionately? Is that lawyer listening to you? Is that lawyer putting his himself or herself in your shoes? And you're absolutely right. There are some lawyers who you know they're doing their job, but they're but they don't care. You've got to care in this job. You have to care, and and the one thing you just said, Karen, is you have to be client centered, right? We, we lawyers um, always think like sometimes we're the smartest people in the room, <laughs> right, that we know better than our clients. No, the client must have a voice. They came to you with their issue, their challenges, their problems. You must listen to them and let their voice be heard. You know, that's why we wouldn't have any work if we didn't have clients, right? The client is the most important part of the job. And we all must represent every client fairly. And it's so funny that you said that because you should go to lawyers and you should talk to them. And Pat talks about lawyer clients who come to him and he talks to them when they come in and he asks them questions. And he says to them, you know, if you don't, if you don't feel comfortable with me, I'm not the right lawyer for you. And that's how it should be with every lawyer. You know, and, and one of the things that I do and I don't and I get questioned why I question, but I like to know a little bit about my client. I like to know their background. Where are you from? Where did you go to school? You know, just to develop some commonality with somebody is really important to me because then I can connect with them on some level. Maybe we have, you know, similar backgrounds in some regard. And I find that that's like a real key during that attorney client relationship, which can last for, you know, sometimes two years where you have a client, you're going through all all these, you know, very difficult times with whether it's criminal or civil, and you have to have that connection. And they, the client, to me, needs to know that I'm connected to them. Um, so yeah, I think the most important part, obviously, of 
us as attorneys is the client, uh, the attorney-client relationship, right? That's what we have to build. We have to gain their trust. We and the way we do that is to learn about them, just like you said. And in a criminal case, of course, the mitigation, the facts that you bring to the judge and the prosecutor to humanize your client in that courtroom and make that judge and prosecutor understand that my client is much more than the charge that brought him to court. It's so important. You cannot do that if you do not connect with your client. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this later, and I won't talk to you about it, but I'm going to be talking about Nicholas Cruz, the defendant in the Parkland shooters shooting uh, down in Florida, is on trial right now. He pled guilty to the crimes, but it's we're on the death penalty phase, so either the jury is going to give death penalty or life, and I think what you're going to see is what Amy just said. We're going to see some the defense lawyers really trying to humanize this kid, um, having you know him having done something so horrible, one of the, the worst mass shootings uh, in the history of of our country, and you're going to see exactly that from these lawyers. Um, Absolutely. How did he get there? Why did he commit that crime? It didn't just happen overnight, right? Right. I think we're going to see some facts that uh, probably is going to be a wake-up call to all of us that there were some some calls for help that just weren't answered. Again, not to say that that takes away his culpability in what he did, but it can explain a a lot about... um, we know what led up to it. But let, let, let me just say this, you know, crime is rampant in Chicago. I, I just saw a news article that said the two issues in Illinois that are most important to people are inflation and crime. And, and I, you walk around the city and people are talking about carjackings and they're talking about shootings and police officers with bad attitudes because they're not being treated with respect. How in this climate, climate do you, do you, you know, as a criminal defense uh, lawyer with that background how do you say things like you know the cash bail system was not a good one and we should eliminate cash bail how do you how do you argue when people are so angry and so afraid what they want to do is just put everyone in jail how do you argue against that well you have to have people understand history right harsher sentences which everybody is calling for now because of the um, uptick in crime are never the solution you have to look back like, back to the Greek times, you know, back to when the death penalty was a punishment for most crimes, even just stealing a cabbage. It didn't solve the reasons for the crime, which was poverty. It didn't stop the crime. You know, in 18th century, Britain had more than 200 offenses punishable by death. That never worked. Here in the United States, we have talked about it all the time, and you've talked about it on the show, the war on drugs. We incarcerated an entire generation of mostly black men. It served no purpose and didn't solve addiction. It didn't solve poverty. It didn't solve unemployment or lack of education. In the 90s, it was suggested that society was plagued by these juvenile super predators. People are talking about that again. And that locking them up would stop crime. That was misguided. It was false. That wasn't true. I, I see the problem summarized like this. If you, you know, if you see every problem as a nail then the only tool you'll ever need is a hammer, right? But that's simplistic. It's narrow-minded, right? We have complex problems. Crime is complex. It cannot be solved with one fix, like harsher sentences. And and that's that's exactly right. Amy, we're going to have to say goodbye, and I want you to come on again, and I uh, want you to uh, uh, continue to do the good work you're doing at the uh, the Restorative Justice Lawndale. uh, You're at the uh, Lawndale Christian Legal Center, and you're the Vice President of Restorative Justice. I'm going to have you on to talk about that concept as well. Amy Capanelli, thanks for joining the show.